if you are soaping with us uh, already and you haven't, you've started in with us, just a, a you know, quick show of hands if you're online with us. Oh, so cool. So cool. Um, if you're in this place right now where you're like, oh no, what do I do? Listen, it's okay. You can join us when we start to unpack this. You're like, that sounds pretty cool. Right at the back over there to when you leave to your left hand at the next steps table, there is um, our guides. There's Bibles. There's pens. Um, and the guides are made from all the people in our church. Um, can we just give a round of applause to the people who put their pieces in there? I, I've loved these questions. They've been so good, so good. And what I love is it's not just like, oh, the people here in South Jersey. So if, if you're online with us today, I want to give a quick shout out to the people in uh, Pennsylvania and into Colorado that you are soaping with us right now and you've kind of engaged and, and you're online just thanks for doing that. Thanks for being present and being with us now and being part of Crossbridge. So uh, it's great to have you. Great to have you. What I love about this series is it was not just our life groups where it's like, oh, look at all these adults doing this. It was our teens and even some of our kids going, but I want a book. I want a guide to walk through this. And I have been like floored at hearing the stories from our teenagers um, throughout the week going, well, uh, you know, I was reading and and I didn't get it. I was like, whew, me neither. And you guys began to ask the best questions. Teenagers, I know people are like, stop asking questions. Stop questioning everything. You've asked the best questions this week. And I've also heard specifically around Luke chapter 2 when Mary was pregnant and all the guys trying to figure out what that was like. It just didn't connect, you know. Um, I heard the women's group was a very different conversation. So... Uh, listen, as you're reading through this, here's what I understand. And we talked a little bit about it last week. If you just start reading the Bible, it can get confusing. It, it can get awkward. It just is, I, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. And that's why we've created this guide, because there are times the Bible is just confusing. And it's hard. And we have to wrestle with it. And we don't know what to do. And so if you have started with us and you thought, I'm out. I missed two or three days. Well, you're in good company if you've missed a couple days. This was the story of my week. I stood here last week telling you, find a rhythm and a routine, find your space. I didn't get my rhythm once this week because my week was nuts. And everything in me was like, just give up. Just don't even bother. So if, if you're in that place, I want to tell you, you can still jump in. It's not too late. You don't have to try to catch up with everybody else. It, just start at, you know, today we're at what? Day eight. Pick up on day eight. Is it day eight? Day, day seven. See, we should have put dates on there. It's my bad. Um, as the, if we go over the next three weeks, we're going to really unpack what is soap? What is this? And how do we kind of approach it? The S is what we're going to look at today. The S in soap stands for scripture. Scripture. This book right here might be the biggest hurdle for you if you decide to jump into reading because it's a huge book. Um, this is probably a bigger book than many people have read in their entire life. And for most of our culture, this might as well have been a great collection of books written by someone, you know, a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Right? It, it's just this made-up saga and story that it doesn't matter. But I, I need to tell you, this book, 66 individual books put together, is so much more than just a book to read on the beach. Well, you wouldn't read on the beach, but you know what I'm saying. 
when you have your Bibles and you look at them, it's a pretty wide array of things. What kind of stories do you read? And I love the story that uh, Joe had read for us today. And this, in the biography of Jesus, written by his follower, Matthew, this tax collector who paid attention to things. Um, if you're in Matthew chapter 4, I would love for you to turn there. It'll be about three-quarters of the way through your Bible. And, you know, in the passage that Joe read for us, what I find fascinating is, uh, you know, Jesus has done nothing spectacular up to this point. Right? No miracles before this moment where he's being baptized and, and in the desert being tempted. He has literally grown up as just a normal Jewish kid into a Jewish man, and he's lived his life, and it's, he's in his 30s, and now it comes this moment where he's like, okay, he goes to the Jordan, he's baptized by his cousin, and then he heads off into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted, just like we read. And, and in this story, there's something that Jesus does that I really think it's important for us to pay attention to today because it's a story that every one of us can relate to. I, I'm assuming you have been tempted at some point in your journey. Safe assumption? Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, let's be real, right? We, we understand and we can relate to Jesus here. And, and maybe you've never come face to face with the devil this way or the uh, tempter, the accuser. But we know this world well. And we're told in verse 2, I find this so funny. I love it. It says, for 40 days and nights he fasted and became very hungry. I, I'm really glad Matthew included this, he became very hungry. I don't like missing a meal. It's like, of course he's very hungry. Are you kidding me? It's 40 days. And, and it, that's a long, long time. And it's wild because in this moment, can, you know when you're at that point when you get hangry? You get a little funky with people around you. There's those times that if you're going to fall to temptation, snap at someone or do something dumb, it's usually in those times where you're not getting what you want, which is the purpose of fasting. You're intentionally saying, I'm not going to eat yet. And what we learn is that when the devil comes to tempt him, the first temptation is for physical needs, right? To tempt him with his physical needs. Jesus, you're hungry. You could take these stones and you can turn these rocks. And he had this, you know, I imagine, again, it's just my brain, the way it works, but he takes a stone from the ground and he says, listen, I know you're hungry. You have the power to turn this stone into a rock. And this is where we are going to see Jesus use a phrase over and over and over. And he simply says, the scriptures say, say that with me. The scriptures say, great, you sound just like Jesus right now. Isn't that great? Each time Jesus is going to use this phrase, what he's going to do is quote from the books of the Old Testament. But not just all the books or some of the books, he's actually going to quote from one book over and over and over. And this time he's going to quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he simply says, people do not live by bread alone, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, please hear me on this. People will often say, you know what? It's Jesus. Of course, he had all these Bible verses on his brain. I mean, if he's God, then he kind of wrote it all, right? So, of course, it's just he didn't have to learn it. Now, if Jesus was 100% God, yes, he's also, we would believe, which we just sang, that he's 100% human. And if that boggles your brain, perfect. Um, you're in a great place. 
But if he's 100% human, that means he had to learn this, didn't he? He had to study this. He did not come out of Mary's womb and then all of a sudden be like, let me tell you about the prophet Isaiah, right? That would be super freaky, awkward, weird. He did not come, you know, into this world with all of knowledge downloaded into his brain like he's Neo in the Matrix. That's not the way this works. He had to learn as he grew. He studied. And if he's there, we're in this moment where as he learned it, he dedicated himself to the study of it. And I believe that because every Jewish kid did this. Every family, they put their kids, while they were little, through the rigors of learning Scripture together. They had to. So when this moment comes in Jesus' life, you know what's awesome? He's ready. He's absolutely ready because he's studied with the Bible. And so he comes back at this temptation with Scripture. And, and so the tempter then comes back with a second temptation. And that temptation is safety. He comes back with safety. So go ahead and throw yourself off the temple. The angels will catch you. And what does Jesus say to this? What's our phrase for Jesus? The scriptures say. The scriptures also say. So he's ready to go. And he's coming from Deuteronomy chapter 6. So we jump back two chapters, okay? And he said, you must not test the Lord your God. You know, it's interesting. He's fighting the tempter with verses found in the same scroll, not that far apart. He's not flipping pages with chapters like we are. He's looking at a scroll, and, and they're in the same area. Now, I'm not saying Jesus is like soaping Deuteronomy in the middle of the desert this whole time, okay? Like he's getting in there and doing this. But there is something to be said about a very intentional study of Scripture, that when you dive into one book of the 66 that are in here and you study it, all of a sudden it comes to a point where everything in your life seems to go back to it and, and the entire book begins to apply to what's happening in your life. And he's combating this temptation with Scripture that he had studied. And the devil comes at him one last time with the third temptation, which was power and authority. Bow down right now and worship me, and you can have all the authority and all the power that you want immediately. Now, this is when Jesus gets ticked. Up to this point, I think he's been pretty chill and like, all right, yeah, but the Bible says and scriptures say. And this time, it's kind of, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not bound down to worship you. You need to get out of here. And he says his great phrase, which is, for the scriptures say, and he goes right back into Deuteronomy. He goes, and he stays in chapter 6. He doesn't even get out of that little part of the scroll. And he says, you must fear. And the word here, fear, in Hebrew really means worship. You must worship the Lord your God and serve him. He didn't even change his chapter, right? And he knew this. He was able to cling to the promises, the commands of God. He understood them for himself so that when temptation came, he could fight it. And sometimes I think that we feel overwhelmed by the sheer size of this book. And we think, I could never learn all of this, so we give up on studying it because it's just too much. It's just too confusing. But I believe that if we are going to live a life where we can be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others, we have to understand what's in this whole thing so that we can pull from anywhere. Jesus camped, yes, in Deuteronomy, and right now we're going through 40 days of like introduction to the Bible so we can get a big idea. But listen, I am positive that Jesus was sitting in meditating on Deuteronomy at some point before that, and 
He was listening. He was studying. He was learning and remembering, clinging to those promises. He memorized them. This is our example and why we choose to soap or to read the Bible together as a church. And from that passage, I think there's three principles that I just want to pull out for us that may help us understand why. Right? Why is it worth it to put your time and to give up maybe waking up a little early or going to bed a little later to spend time reading the Bible? Why is this worth it? And the, the first quick, simple truth that I think we can pull from this is that, that Scripture is our foundation. Scripture is our foundation. Jesus' first response to temptation was Scripture. This, this wasn't like an exit plan or a strategy. It was just the Bible. He wasn't ready to run away. He confronts the temptation and hits it with Scripture. Why? Because Scripture, the Bible, was his foundation. He knew where he stood on things, and he didn't have to change. It was solid. Listen, we don't have a lot of solid things in our life. We just don't. Things change all the time. People's opinions change. Science changes. I mean, anybody grow up in a time when they told you eggs were bad for you, right? That, that don't eat eggs, these are horrific for you. And then someone must have, maybe chicken farmers got like some sort of lobbying in, and then it was like eggs are really good for you. And then everybody's eating all these eggs, and then we're testing something else, and they're like, actually, eggs are good for you except for the yolk. Don't eat the yolk, that's what's going to kill you. And, and it was like, what, what am I supposed to do with an egg? It changes all the time. We have nothing that we can really stand on going, that, that's truth, that's firm, that's foundation. I mean, that's just an egg and we can't even get it. As a church, we carry a very clear core value that you see as you walk in down this hallway that we are unashamedly biblical. We will be a church that commits to trusting in what the Bible says about everything, and we want to understand it, and we will speak about everything that Scripture speaks about because we believe as a church that everything in our lives Jesus speaks into. We are unashamedly a Bible-believing church. We believe what Scripture says, and it is authority. When any concern, any problem, any issue comes up, our first place to start is, well, what does God say about that in His Word? Why? Because this, this right here is our foundation. Foundations are crucial. They're crucial. We know this from building projects, right? The higher you want a building to go, the deeper the foundation has to be. The higher you want to go in life, the deeper you're going to need your foundation in the Word. And digging the foundation could be the hardest part of any project that you go to work on. You know what I mean? Th uh, how many of you are familiar with, um, I know you're familiar, you got stuck in it all the time, the whole uh, 295, 76, 42 thing? You know that thing? Yeah, yeah. Can you guess really quick, when did they start doing research on that project? 1898. Pretty close, pretty close. Yeah, 1985. 1985. They started doing research on that. They came up and started the project in March of 2013. And it has been forever that they've been working on that, right? Amen? That's a stronger amen than some of these other truths you give me, right? Listen, 
Is anybody a fan of all this? No, we hate this. It's annoying. It's driving us nuts. When that bridge or that wall thing fell down, I was ready to be done. You know, not a fan of that, not a fan of that. But why is it taking so long? Because if they want to do it right, my brain says, just lay it down, let's go. Like, I want to get through. They've got to dig down. They've got to dig. And as you dig, you come into a major problem when you start to dig. You know what you hit? You hit the rocks. You hit the rocks. And this is what makes digging down so much harder. If you want to get a foundation, you can't just, you know, throw this aside or work around it. You have to deal with it to remove it from the entire project, right? You've got to deal with this thing. And we look at them as a nuisance in our life. When we're trying to dig deep in our life and build a foundation, we, we tend to kind of say, I'll work around it. And so we, we try to maybe dig a little deeper. But the funny thing about the rocks in our life, these issues that we carry is the, de the deeper we try to go, guess where the rocks go with us? they continue to go deeper with us. And if this doesn't get addressed, we don't know what to do. And some of us, let me just say, we've got some major stones that we need to work through. We've got some, some almost boulder-like stones in our life, and we're just trying to work around them. And the devil is whispering in all of our ears that these stones, these will always be with you. These will always be not just part of your foundation, but this is who you are. This is your foundation. And he begins to tell us how much we suck. And the problem is we believe it, don't we? We need scripture because this is our foundation. And when the enemy says this is who you are, we can respond like Jesus and simply say, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, Christ has come to set us free. And if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This doesn't define who we are. Christ does. Scripture is our foundation. The second truth from this passage with Jesus being tempted that we can pull is not only is Scripture our foundation, but Scripture is alive. Scripture's alive. And I know that's probably a little weird if you're newer to uh, following Jesus or the Bible that you're like, uh, nope, it's definitely a book. It's not breathing. And I love what Hebrews chapter 4 says. The author of Hebrews says, For the word of God, he's talking about scripture here, is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one whom we are accountable let me just tell you, the word of God is alive and powerful. And these words have been inspired by God and they've been written by people thousands of years ago. Yes. And each of these authors has their own personalities that you can feel in each of the books. They each had an intended audience that they were writing to, whether they were uh, people of Israel and Jew Jews, whether they were Gentiles, whether they were, you know, people, just churches that were starting up 2000 years ago and they needed a letter of encouragement. When they were written they were written to a specific people inspired by God for us and everyone who received that book that letter that song if you will sometimes it was for them they understood it they applied it to their lives and the same is true for us thousands of years later that we can sit here today 
and read a book that's, I mean, in between, probably close to three and a half or 4,000 years old to 2,000, maybe like 1,900 years old, and say, this, this applies to my life today. What other ancient historical scripture or text holds up like this? None of them. Because this book is alive. Yes, our lives change. And our relationships with people, they change. Our relationships with Jesus begin to shift. But the Holy Spirit opens our eyes, illuminates Scripture. And we receive revelation new when we come to read this because the Holy Spirit's in us and he inspired these words, and we need this. And the author goes on in Hebrews, and he says, listen, this is what Scripture is supposed to do. It's a double-edged sword that it's cutting between soul and spirit. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. The Bible here is referred to as a sword, right? It's, it's meant to dig into our lives, to divide our soul, our spirit, our thoughts, our emotions. I'll be honest, sometimes I let my emotions get the best of me. Anybody else? Yeah, you feel that. You know what you need in that moment? You, you need some scripture cutting into your life. Sometimes I become so rigid, analytical, and I lose my heart for people to get something done. Anybody? Yeah, you're a little quieter because you're like, no, then they're going to know I don't like people sometimes. I get it, right? You, you, we're all on the same page. I feel that. You know what I need in that time? I, I need some cutting in my life. I need some cutting. And notice that, that there is someone who's going to be wielding this weapon, and it is not you, and it is not me. This weapon, this double-edged sword is wielded by God himself. He is the one who cuts into our life, who divides who we are. And it is God's job to dissect us, to dive deep with us. It is not someone else's job to do that. So if the Bible is ever used to bully someone, to shame someone, to cut someone down to size, let me tell you, if you've ever been in that place and you're using scripture to do that, you are misappropriating scripture. You are using it wrong, and this grieves Jesus, because this is meant to bring freedom and hope, not to start cutting people up. Let me tell you, if you spend dedicated time alone with Jesus, or in a group with Jesus, reading through what we're reading through, no one else is going to need to do the cutting on you. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction. I'm telling you when you're open to it. You're not going to need other people. In that moment, you're going to need the other men, the other women, the other teens around you to say, it's okay. Don't beat yourself up that bad. And it's like, they're going to remove the shame from you so that you would find grace and hope. This is meant for us to align more with Jesus, not to be cutting people up. This is about alignment. It is not a weapon that we use. It is a weapon that God uses on us. Does that make sense? You know what I'm saying? And know that the enemy wants us to live a defeated, a mediocre life. And if he can keep us from spending time alone with the alive word of God, he's going to do it. He'll do whatever it takes to take us away from time with God. I have felt that all week. I have been distracted, and my soaping rhythm was off, and I have not spent great time with Jesus until about last night at 12.30. It felt like I finally was able to connect with God this week. It was so frustrating. I felt like the enemy had me. 
in moments this week. I get this frustration. And as I sat with Jesus and not felt like I had to catch up, but as I sat with Jesus and read and spent time with him, my heart was able to align with him because the word of God is alive and what I received last night was exactly what I needed last night. He has a word for you today and tomorrow. Do you know why? Because this is alive. We all experience distractions. I, I get it. And I, I should tell you, reading the Bible sometimes is very difficult for me. As a pastor, it's like I feel like I'm paid to read the Bible sometimes. I have trouble reading and not coming up with a sermon not coming up with some sort of message or figuring how can I apply this in a way that Crossbridge would understand, that people who are online with us can engage with, and what kind of guide can I write for this for soaping? And like, what about, it is so hard. And I have to intentionally remind myself, when you work, Jim, you can write and study, but sometimes every day you gotta get away and just hang out with Jesus because he has a word for you. I need a word from him or I, I I'm useless before you. Would you pray for me that I receive those? Please pray for everybody that, that who's preaching and teaching. Like We need that. And it's so hard to get out of it. I need this because Scripture's alive. The last principle truth that we could pull from what Jesus says is that Scripture is filled with promises. This is why we keep going back to Scriptures. It's filled with promises. And we need to remind each other of these promises all the time. We need to know what these promises are. And if we can't dive into scripture to read it, to understand it, to maybe try to memorize it like Jesus did, how are we going to know what's in here? We're not. We're going to end up saying things like, you know, I mean, why are you working so hard? Well, I'm working hard because God helps those who help themselves, you know? I mean, it's in there. And it's like, oh, no, it's not. That, that, that's, not, that's not in here anywhere. God helps those who help themselves. It's not. But we say things all the time that are, we, we kind of like phrase it Jesus-y. It's not Jesus. It's not scriptural. It's a cool saying. But we need to know the promises of God because they bring freedom to our lives. The prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament, I love he, that he writes about this too. In Jeremiah chapter 23, he, he says this. He says, I, and, and this is God speaking. I have heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And they proceed to tell lies in my name. How long will this go on? If they're prophets, they're prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. By telling these false dreams, they're trying to get my people to forget me just as their ancestors did by worshiping the idols of Baal. Let these false prophets tell their dreams, but let my true messengers faithfully proclaim my every word. There is a difference between straw and grain. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? God is ticked that people are making things up and saying, when God says, or, you know, I feel like God is saying, and, and they're proclaiming to have dreams, visions, and prophecies that God never said any of these things, and God is ticked. And can I tell you, that still happens today. 
There are false teachers who will simply say, well, God says, and, and if someone ever says to you, God is saying to me right now for you, you could do something amazing. And scripture tells us to do this, test their word. Test their word. Go ahead and take what they say and compare it with this. If it matches, hey, God might be saying something because he still speaks to us today. If it doesn't match, I'll give you a little, little you know, pastoral tip. You ready? That's not from God. That's from the enemy who still speaks as well. We need to know what's in here, right? We need to understand because the, the Bible here, the word of God, God refers to his word as a fire and he refers to it, I love this, as a hammer. He refers to it as a hammer. And I, I kind of like that imagery, honestly, because he says, you know, you take the hammer and it's going to attack those rocks. You know those rocks we want to work around? Those rocks we try to get around? God's saying, you could try to dig deeper, but it's just going to go with you. Instead, he says, you, you could take that and whatever rock you've got, you can sit in a place. And he's simply going to try to chip away at stuff. I told you last week, sometimes I don't like reading scripture because it convicts me. And if the word of God is like fire. I've got some straw that needs to be burnt to get to grain. And if the word of God is like a hammer, I don't know about you, but I, I need some chiseling. There are things that don't line up, and, and the enemy's going to say that these things should just be tossed aside. But God has something very different in mind. When we know the very promises of God and the enemy says, this is only who you are going to be. This is it. What God begins to do is say, it's not who you are. The things that you think are the worst about you, the pain, the issues, the hurts that you have, he all of a sudden begins to take it and breaks then what could be what the enemy designs for evil. points out that we suck. And God says, it's actually what makes you the most beautiful. Is there is hurt and pain that has been shaping who you think you are, but there's beauty in that. There are promises that this will not define you. And instead of hiding our rocks and throwing them off on the side, God doesn't use this to shame us. God uses this to break us. And he puts what the enemy says is the worst of us on display. And when someone says, this is why you're the worst, we could say, no, see what Jesus sees. He sees something beautiful. He sees, yeah, there's some dirt in there and some ick and yeah, it could probably be cleaned out. But we put these on mantles. We buy these in stores and we're like, look, we're celebrating brokenness. 
We need the promises of Jesus to help break us, to remind us that there's beauty in that, that this is who we are, but this will never happen if we are not men, women, teenagers, and kids of the word of God. This will never happen if we avoid scripture because we just don't want to be with God. I don't want to hear what he has to say, and instead we just distract ourselves and fall into whatever temptation the tempter brings into our life, and it would be easier to work around the rock than to deal with it. And sometimes this just takes a lot of time to get to this place, and it hurts, and it's frustrating. I don't know about you, I'm not in any huge rush, and if we're taking one step at a time to follow Jesus, maybe it's just one swing at a time through Scripture that he's using to shape who we are. We need people around us in Scripture to remind us there is something inside us. I, I dream about a church that is so committed to daily spending time with God that we would always be being chipped. There's no shortage of rocks in my life that God's got to work on, let me tell you. There's no shortage in your life either. And if we walk with Jesus together, we celebrate where he's working, how he's working, so that when we finally break, there's someone there to say, oh, I know you think it's a mess. It's actually not. There's beauty in this. And let me remind you, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And Jesus demonstrates this for us because scripture was the foundation. It's where he started. It's alive. And could you imagine if this continues to be the focus of our church, to spend time with Jesus with scripture, observation, application, and prayer, that we're intentionally journeying through this. And when people come into Crossbridge, they're like, wow, look at all the fancy lights. And, and like, oh, I didn't expect this for a church in a gym. That looks different. The music, spot on. It's the best. Or the message is real. I, I just don't care. Because if they come into an intentional relationship with Jesus and spend time with him, he will change every day what there's no way we could do on a Sunday. This is why we soak together. If you're like, man, I, I kind of want to be in on this. Back at the table, there are guides. We have extra Bibles. We would love to give you one. If you need a pen, steal however many you need. We want you to spend time with us in Scripture. And since we believe in Scripture and we hold this as true, we actually celebrate communion every week here at Crossbridge because Jesus has simply said, when you gather together, would you remember my death, remember my resurrection? Would this be a moment and a time when, when you come together and you elevate the cross so that people, all people would know they're invited into a relationship with me, that, that my body was broken to pay the penalty for sin, that my blood was poured out to cover that. And so at Crossbridge, we believe the words of Jesus. So we celebrate every week. If you're here and you're a guest with us and you have trusted Jesus and you believe in his teachings and, and follow them, you are welcome to celebrate with us. And you'll notice that it's up front and we do not serve communion. Instead, we receive what God has already done. And we celebrate around a table together. 
And I'm going to pray, and if you have given your life to Christ, you are more than welcome to join us. If you have not, and you're like, I, I just, I'm still wrestling with a lot of the teachings, and I'm not there yet, hang back. Stay seated. It's, it's great, because Scripture, which we believe, says that if you take communion and you don't know Jesus and you have not dealt with some of the sin in your life, you're eating and drinking your own condemnation. We don't want to be that for you. We will be taking communion together around the table, looking at people who are just as broken as we are, and singing and having that same chorus over us. I believe, I believe, I believe. When we sing these promises, they're straight from Scripture. What do you believe today? Would you stand with me? Jesus, I recognize you're, you're so good that you committed yourself to Scripture because you needed it. Because life is hard and this is where you found promises. This is where you gave us new promises, new commands to love. And you demonstrated that with your life. And we celebrate you, your death and your resurrection, and that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And we await your return as our coming King. And until that moment, we gather around the table, elevating you once again as the center of all we do. Holy Spirit, thanks for letting us celebrate you. Father, thank you for your love. We believe. We believe in Jesus' name.